welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Home Efficiency. Hello, clean tech enthusiasts. My name is Scott Cooney, and my company has done energy and water efficiency retrofits for more than 13,000 homes and small businesses, saving our customers more than $3 million a year on their electric and water bills, while also reducing more than 11 million pounds of carbon pollution per year. Would you like to start offering this type of service in your community? Do it for a living? Make money? You can. Check out homeefficiency.com for more info. We do flat fee consulting to help you get started with our model, training you, giving the inventory, tools, software, and support you'll need. No royalties, no hidden fees, no sneaky add-ons. You can just get started. Ready to work with your hands and make a difference every day? Do it. Go to homeefficiency.com. Check out. We're here today for another episode of Clean Tech Talk with Casper Rawls, Head of Price Assessments at Benchmark Mineral Intelligence. We're talking batteries, battery minerals today. Um, I was about to say before we started, but then I thought better for the recording anyway. Um, I feel like the 2020s is sort of like the, the, the decade of batteries. Like, you know, we had obviously a lot of battery improvements in the last decade, a lot of progress that's made the electric vehicle market uh, what it is today. But it just feels like this coming decade is going to be very much about batteries. So we're eager to start diving in deeper and deeper. And Casper, we greatly appreciate you uh, taking the time to, to talk with us today on Clean Tech Talk uh, and share with Clean Technica your expertise in this manner. Hi, Zach. Yeah, thank you very much for inviting me on the show. Um, yeah, I mean, I agree. Certainly 2020 has been a, a shift year in, in everything to do with electric vehicles and energy storage. So um yeah, I'm looking forward to see what the next decade brings. And uh, we'll, we'll talk a bit, you know, I, I guess a lot of the news on batteries last year centered around Tesla Battery Day. There was a lot announced, um, a lot of projections. Uh, you're, for, you know, quite dramatic even in the, in the context of your forecasting. Um, we'll get back to it, but do you have any initial statements uh, as we roll into this about you know, your reflections on Battery Day or some of your key critiques or, or highlights yeah i mean it was really interesting um i mean uh, to be honest battery day feels like a long time ago now although it was only september right it feels like uh, lots happened since then yeah. Uh, but yeah i mean it was a huge moment for the industry i think perhaps there was a bit of a awakening for some other kind of auto and cell makers in the space um obviously kind of the major key announcement that was somewhat expected, but was uh, good to finally be confirmed was that Tesla would make their own batteries, which um, for those who don't know, to date have been supplied by, well, primarily it was Panasonic originally, and then uh, since uh, they opened the Shanghai Gigafactory, LG Chem and CATL as well. So Tesla making their own sales in-house is a major step, but there are, another, there are a number of other announcements uh, within that, uh, well, there was yeah a lot of announcements on that day, some of which I think were um, probably more achievable in the nearer term. Um, and some I think will be long-term, longer-term aspirations, um, which will be very challenging. So, you know, as I already mentioned, 
big big news was the um, sale production and also slightly changing um, or looking at changing the way that they were the cathode would be produced for those cells now um, that uh, is something again which would be a big step for an automaker making your own cathode material I think that's a you know a longer term horizon um, kind of uh, goal for Tesla I think it's it's going to be challenging to change the supply chain in that way and get the right materials that would be needed but also um, we got some more clarity on where they see the split in terms of the different um, cathode materials they'll be using so talking about um, different materials cobalt free high nickel and LFP of course which is um, already in use by, by Tesla in, in China so um, some good clarity there um, and then, you know, there were, a, I won't go through everything, but there are a whole number of other announcements, which were pretty interesting. Obviously the one that drew quite a lot of attention was, um, Tesla producing their own lithium in the U S. Um, uh, and there was some statements made in that, which, um, drew some attention from the media, shall we say, but, um, I think again, that would be a much longer term aspiration and, um, all of it, you know, I'm not, you know, all of the, everything that was announced is very challenging. Even the, you know, high capacity or high volume cell manufacturing is extremely challenging. Yeah, I, I, list, I joined your, the Benchmark Minerals um, video chat. You had a webinar kind of thing um, right afterwards where I think four or five of you, you guys uh, discussed That's right. all, of, all of it. It was really fascinating, interesting. Um, uh, I get, you know, we're going to talk with, with, uh, with uh, as well your colleague Andrew Miller um, mm -hmm. at Benchmark and uh, possibly others later on, but uh, about other matters. So, you know, if it's ever like outside of your expertise, you know, f feel free to say, well, I'd better to have someone else talk about it. But, uh, but generally speaking, the, the lithium, you know, I was going to joke, it's, it's simple. You just take the clay out and get the, <laughs> just take the lithium out of the clay, right? But, uh, the, you know, there's kind of a joke in the battery industry because it's not actually that simple and it's not, if it was that simple, it'd be done like already, right? But uh, do you have any, are there any of those kind of claims or, or um, ideas that you found to be, you're a little skeptical of, or do you think they're all manageable, just long-term, some will take years, some, some less? I would say that I'm a little skeptical of them being able to produce battery grade lithium from a clay deposit, uh, you know, at a, uh, should we say, um, competitive cost compared to other operations. Um, you know, the challenge with lithium is always, it's not necessarily been finding it or getting it out of the ground. It's quite, it's quite an abundant mineral. And, um, you know, getting it out of the ground in many cases is pretty straightforward. If you look at brine, or spodumene mining, uh, so brine in South America and spodumene in, in, in Australia, really they're quite straightforward mining. The difficulty then is processing it to a battery grade standard uh, for a reasonable price. And, you know, uh, I think, you know, the comments, I think the, the criticism it, it, that was drawn from, from the statement in, in Battery Day was more that, you know, it made it sound like it was really straightforward and we'll just do this and we'll just take the lithium out of the ground and we'll have battery grade material that will go into our process. But, you know, the, you know it's a, a more a discredit to the industry who have been trying to, you know, make battery grade lithium in vast quantities. Um, and it's not easy. We've seen a lot of operations fail to, to do it. And there's only a handful of companies that can really produce that top grade uh, of, of purity and quality that's required and consistency as well is a major thing. So, um, right. You know, yeah. And, I was just uh, 
it's you know it's a challenge because that that kind of event is tailored to, it's it's aimed at two you know it's aimed at the general audience that you know doesn't really understand anything about this stuff uh and the industry itself so you know he's talking to the heads of mining companies at the same time as he's talking to cnbc viewers and uh, so you know he has this challenge of simplifying it and making it you know clear for us uh while also yeah, the challenge of, you know, yeah. leaving out nuance or including nuance about, well, it's simple, you know, for, you know, but, but you still have this challenge, this challenge, this challenge. So it's, uh, yeah. and of course, you know, it's Elon, so he always is thinking like years or decades in advance and um, uh, he's sort of, you know, quite vision visionary. So he's, uh, he's got this, you know, tendency to be right, but be talking about stuff in a, in a way that seems like it's around the corner, what might be... Um, uh, a long ways away so he's proven many people wrong by sort of people having too short of a view i guess of what he's talking about but um but yeah this yeah. is uh that sounded to me like that was one of the most surprising um goals one of the it seemed like one of the more interesting and challenging goals but uh yeah, yeah. Do you have any more on that specific topic on the the, the lithium production yeah through, uh, through different I mean, means yeah i just think you know i guess the other thing is that i'd like to add really is that I'm not saying it can't be done. I think the challenge of doing that alongside building new battery plants and, and getting those to, you know, efficient production levels, new cathode process, ramping vehicle production, all of those things at once is extremely challenging. So I'm not saying it can't be done. I just think the timeline to that being in production is at the tail end of all of those announcements. So right. we're looking at, uh, you know, big time horizon for that. Right. So on the topic of lithium, what, uh, how do you see the industry evolving, growing in the next few years? I mean, you know, I think that it, well, it needs to, it needs to grow, shall we say. I mean, we're at a period now, we're now got, you know, with what's happened in 2020, where demand for lithium is, is rising very quickly. And actually, you know, from the, you know, part of the work we do at Benchmark is we collect price data from the industry um, on a daily basis. And, you know, over the last couple of months, we've started to see for the first time in a number of years that lithium prices have increased. Um, you know, and that's a reflection, I think, of, I mean, that's primarily in the domestic Chinese market, which is um, kind of the, the most liquid, the one that, that is, reacts first and is kind of, you know, the, the early warning system of what's to come. Um, but, um, you know, the next few years, we're, we're going from a period of where we've seen oversupply, low prices and actually expansions and new projects being put on hold to the reverse, where we're likely to see increasing prices, uh, you know, flip back to investments in new capacity in the supply chain um, and, um, yeah, kind of a, a tightening supply, if not falling into deficit. Um, you know, and that will have a big impact on um well, what we're already seeing really is, and, you know, we've seen this from Tesla as well as other companies in the supply chain is we're seeing more and more of these kind of long-term supply deals being locked up by automakers and sale manufacturers with lithium producers or chemical converters in China. And you had also the deal um, Tesla made with Piedmont Lithium, which was, um, uh, well, I guess in, in one sense, many were expecting this to happen with them or, or another company. And, uh, but in another sense, it's it's securing a lithium supply from North America, correct? 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're seeing, uh, on, uh, you know, through a number of different channels, we're seeing that essentially every government is looking to push uh, localized supply, not just, you know, primarily we saw that in terms of looking to localize cell production. And that started to happen. And in fact, we've seen, you know, huge investments in cell production, particularly in Europe and of, of course in China as well, where, you know, 70% of the world's capacity sits. Um, but now we're starting to see more and more of a focus on what we turn the upstream. So from the battery cell all the way back up the, the supply chain to the mine. And um, there's a big focus on either securing if, it, you know, you can't move the deposit. So if the deposit's not there, you know, you can't have a local supply, in which case governments are looking at recycling. But yeah, certainly, yeah, a, a, a North America or US production of battery minerals, it seems to be um, something that's going on at not just the company level, but also government governmental level as well. And uh, so Tesla's specific deal with, with uh, Piedmont, do you, do you see that as potentially expanding into more deals with that company or even acquiring that company? Or, do you, or is there kind of limitation that they sort of, they made their deal and now they'll probably look for others to make deals with uh, in that kind of regard? Yeah, I mean, you know, specifically on, on Piedmont, it's hard to comment. I mean, it's Tesla, right? Anything could happen. Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't know if they would necessarily look to acquire them if they're already working on developing their own asset, but certainly from, um, and I, sh I should probably add to, to your point earlier that um, Andy Miller um, probably does a bit more work on lithium than I do. So he may have some more detailed comments on, on that than me, but um, you know, from my perspective, just as a kind of uh, a larger view, if Tesla hoped to produce the number of sales that they mentioned in battery day, which was three terawatt hours by, I think 2030 was the timeline from memory. Um, you know, they're going to need a lot more lithium. Um, now, you know, that's that, that three terawatt hour number, I would say is another one that's a bit questionable on the basis that that's essentially as much uh, global lithium ion battery production capacity uh, for Tesla. They're saying they would have in house as is currently in the pipeline for the rest of the world. Yeah, and um, in the so, pipeline means? Um, so that means either existing operations or ones that uh, are planned and announced by other cell manufacturers. So they would be doubling, they would be 50% of global production capacity. So it's a huge number, just to put, that's just putting yeah, that, that, that number into context. It's very hard when people talk about gigawatt hours and terawatt hours, what that really means is very hard to rationalize, but it's about the same as with, you know, I think our, our number of... Um, so we at Benchmark, we track the build out of uh, battery plants. We took lithium ion battery mega factory assessment um, on a monthly basis. And at the moment in the year 2030, we're tracking around just over three terawatt hours of global capacity. So it's, you know, it's doubling that. Yeah, that was one of my favorite and most fascinating articles I wrote after the, that battery day was uh, comparing that. And so my question, I guess, is... Um, that, that's pipeline, and it's sort of easy to conflate pipeline and forecast, but they're they're not the same, right? So how, like, uh, I mean, do you guys have also a forecast for 2030 beyond the pipeline? Do you, how much do you expect gets added to the pipeline each, each year? Or is that outside of this conversation right now? <laughs> Uh, no, so the, so it, the, when when we talk about the pipeline, what we're saying is either existing operations or um, expansions to existing operations or plants that are yet to be built, either in construction or in their planning phase. So, all firm um, projects, and I mean, 
someone could announce a project tomorrow and then it increases the pipeline, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So we are seeing continued uh, announcements, particularly within China for, for new battery plants. But actually what we've seen is that there is, you know, already realistically, when we look at our demand expectations, up until kind of the mid 2020s, there's sufficient battery capacity globally. Now it's quite a complicated picture because what, what you tend to find is that when a new battery plant comes online, um, you have this long window where, first of all, those batteries will need to be qualified by the customer. So say, for example, LG Chem add a new line to their plant in China for, that's going to supply Tesla. Tesla will need to qualify those cells before they can take commercial deliveries and ensure they re reach the quality requirements that are needed. And then what you also find is that you have... Um, a period where the, the cell manufacturer struggles generally to ramp up to, to the capacity in terms of production. So what you have is a high failure rate, essentially. So a lot of cells that don't make it through quality control for various different reasons. So you have this big capacity number, but actually production can be a lot lower than... Um, That's really interesting. I, I recall something of that happening with the Gigafactory with Panasonic cells. Um, yeah. And there's sort of different ways of reporting on it, and it was sort of hard to get um so sort of capture get a good get a good clear idea of uh what it all meant because there's you know the headlines would go in one direction or another on what it meant basically and, and it was uh, sort of confusing um but that makes some clarity so uh so i've talked with uh and you know my list was mostly focused around nickel so we get to nickel but last thing on lithium just I, i've talked with howard klein and rodney hooper of rk equity quite a bit about this topic and about how it takes years to get set up a mine once you decide to to, to do more mining and that there there has been this challenge of uh kind of um uh, kind of situation a chicken egg situation where you need more production capacity but it takes years to build up, but you need a commitment and investment to fund that. And until the demand is higher, it's like the markets don't think five to seven years out often. Um, and so one question is like, yeah, you, you said you have, I think you said the supply should be good for demand to 2025 globally. Uh, just uh, maybe touch on that again. And also um, is there, is there a situation now that that there's still a lot of players that are not moving quickly enough and that then players like Tesla that obviously have a long big vision are securing contracts Volkswagen I think is also quite keen on securing contracts do you see a kind of split in the market where some are going to be securing all the contracts you can get and then there's going to be a, a crunch or yeah how do you see that yeah, so to the first part of the question uh, about the supply outlook, um, I mean, for lithium, actually, um, you know, we start to see the market falling into deficit in the next 12 to 18 months, realistically, from because what we, you know, what happened with lithium was that um, you had this period of high pricing back in kind of 2015, 16. 17 probably early yeah. 2018 well and then prices have been low ever since so pretty much the last three years we've had kind of low prices 
And we're now in an environment where that looks like that's starting to change. It's still early, but it looks like that's starting to change. And so over that three years, you saw either capacity expansions either delayed or cancelled and uh, some operations actually come offline to stop production entirely. So we're in a situation now where, you know, actually we've just created more price volatility down the road because we're now going to come into deficit sooner than probably people were expecting. And, um, you know, without uh, investment in the supply chain, there's no way that supply is going to be able to keep up um, with where we see demand going over the next few years. Um, I mean, in, and, and you know, kind of to the second part of your question, yes, you, we're starting to see that there's a big divide within the battery supply chain and particularly within kind of automakers, um, but to some extent cell manufacturers as well. Um, who have more sophisticated raw material sourcing strategies. So those uh, companies who, are, who have locked up, you know, five, five-year supply deals now are going to be doing them under better terms than companies that look to do them in 12 months or 24 months when the market's falling into deficit and it's a seller's market. So those early movers are going to re receive benefits on the terms that they get from their pricing structures within their contracts. Um, and what you've seen is this kind of clear-cut uh, should we say kind of tier one of battery sourcing or lithium sourcing or battery raw material sourcing, those who have acted and those who are still trying to work out what their strategy is going to be. And, you know, the likelihood is um, that, yeah, as you say, there's going to be a period where less, there is less and less material available for long-term agreements. And those who don't have that will be left to fight in the spot market or rely on, um, their cell manufacturer or cathode manufacturer to do their raw material sourcing for them, which they'll pay a premium for. And so, yeah, related to that, I, we interviewed the CEO of Northfolt uh, a few months ago and, or several months ago now, I don't know, time, time is hard to, it's hard to, yeah, uh, keep track of these days. Uh, but um, so he also sort of described a situation where, you know, automakers would go to the battery companies and say, look, this is what our, this is what we're going to need. This will be our demand. And based on, it sounded like based on, you know, his, history, the battery companies sort of, you know, took all these 12 companies forecasts together and said, well, they're not, you know, they're not really, well, they're not committing enough. They weren't like putting money. They were like, we're going to need this, but they're not like giving money for, um, for expansion directly immediately. They're just sort of, sort of a soft, soft ask, soft order. If, if that's, and it's not the technical term, I'm sure. But, uh, and so the battery companies were sort of like looking like, okay, well, um, without a stronger firm order, we assume, you know, all together we need this much. And it sounds like you're saying similarly, like even that some of the battery um, cell manufacturers are setting them, have set themselves up for a bit of a crunch um, if demand is, it ends up being uh, basically, I mean, in Europe, it, and it, it looks higher than it than I think a lot of people expected, and and we could see that in China and and the U.S. as well. Um, so I guess two questions are: Do you see that? Am I describing it correctly? Or am I a little off in how I'm understanding that? And two, uh, can you say anything about the different battery cell manufacturers and which seem more aggressive or ambitious? Yeah. Yeah. So definitely there are two cell manufacturers uh, that stand out as being the most aggressive in their expansion plans so far. And that's CATL, a Chinese company, and LG Chem or LG Energy Solution, as the battery division is now called. 
those two companies have uh, taken on, yeah, by far, well, from my, my perspective anyway, by far the largest expansion um, programs. Um, and other than Tesla, who, you know, at the moment obviously don't ha only have 10 gigawatt hours um, of capacity in Fremont, but uh, will be adding adding more soon, who, you know, if they and if they do what they say, they would become the biggest cell manufacturer in the world. But, you know, we're still waiting to see um, how quickly they can make those plans happen, essentially. But yeah, in terms of, you know, it's, it's a constant question that the supply chain asks, not just in terms of cell supply, but also in terms of raw material. So that question is, you know, you don't have firm commitments from, from your customers or rather downstream in the supply chain. Um, you also have, you, for example, you may have a cell manufacturer talking to a raw material supplier and, and, you know, talking about volumes based on the fact that they would do the raw material sourcing for their customer. But that customer might also be talking to the same raw material supplier and you can get some double counting. So it's very confusing um, for some people to kind of rationalize that. Um, yeah. And as you say, it's very hard for companies to also expand you know, for the, you know, right size expansion for, for the demand, if you have these double counting issues, or if you don't have firm commitments from your downstream. And that's why we've started to see a couple of things happen. First of all, as I said, you've got LG Chem and CATL, CATL who kind of expanded and thought the contracts will come, we'll just expand and we'll fulfill that capacity with contracts because we will definitely have it and we can be firm in our offers. Um, and then you also have what you're seeing now is that Whereas historically, we've had much shorter term contracts, typically for raw materials, you've seen, and when I say shorter term, I mean kind of 12 months, maybe two years, you're now seeing five and up to 10 year deals in the supply chain for raw materials. And that helps obviously the, the customer who's buying the raw materials for security of supply and to decrease price volatility to some extent. And then you also have, um, you also have the, the supplier, the, the miner, whoever it may be, can can have more visibility on what they're going to need to supply over the next five, 10 years, and they can expand their production as needed. And you're um, talking about contracts between uh, cattle, I always say cattle, cattle, CATL, and, and the miners, or are you talking about contracts between like Volkswagen or Tesla and the, and the miners, or are you talking about both? Everything, really. So it'd be contracts between... This, uh, yeah, cell manufacturers, automakers, and raw material suppliers. So, yeah, for for example, not, I'm not you know saying specifically, but yeah, for example, between Tesla and and a, a, a lithium producer, or between Volkswagen and a cobalt producer, or something. Um, Do you know we have? <laughs> it is very confusing. This the different contracts. The you know the automaker with the miner, the battery, the automaker with the battery company, and I I, I have to say I. Uh, we hugely appreciate the work you do. It must not be easy. Uh, definitely not not for us to kind of get a head around um, what's happening sometimes. Uh, you know, with these different different levels of contracts. Yeah, there's um, yeah. There, I mean, there's two. I don't know if this is worthwhile me running through, but there's typically two kind of two main structures that the industry works around um, for essentially getting your raw materials and and should we say getting your cells. So. There's, there's the more common structure that has been in place historically, which basically is, you know, say an auto manufacturer will be buying batteries from a cell manufacturer. So let's say, for example, General Motors and LG Chem, and they're buying those batteries and they're paying a, an all-in price 
everything in the battery. So they just, so they're essentially securing their lithium, their cobalt, their nickel, all of those raw materials as part of the battery. And that is one, that's the historic structure that was how it used to be. And then there's a kind of, uh, the structure that's happening now where you're seeing, say, for example, General Motors, instead of buying their um, nickel from, uh, and all the raw materials from their sale manufacturer, they will go and speak to miners and, and they will say, right, I need so many tons of nickel, so many tons of lithium. And they will then contact companies throughout the supply chain and have that material processed all the way into a lithium ion battery. So they're, uh, and then they receive the sale. So they're basically more involved in the supply chain rather than just buying from the next stage up directly. I guess, you know, we've seen Volkswagen is doing that, Tesla. Are, what other companies uh, have been doing that? I, w- I mean, I can't specifically comment on <laughs> particular names. So any names I've given here have just been, you know, for example, okay. but I wouldn't, you know, specifically be able to say any, any companies that are doing that directly okay. other than the ones that are kind of in, 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 in public, public, public okay. domains. No worries. I mean, I also don't know sometimes it's something public and we missed it, uh, but uh, no, I totally understand. Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks. Walk, 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 walk,